Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today is the very Reverend Andrew Pearson. He is the Dean of the Cathedral Church of the Advent right here in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome, Andrew, to the Beeson Podcast. It's my great pleasure. Now, this is a church, your church, is one that has had a long and very supportive relationship with Beeson Divinity School, as long as we've been a school, through a number of different leaders and deans. You've been the dean of the Advent for just a short period of time, uh, succeeding our friend uh, Frank Limehouse. So we'd like to get to know you a little bit. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your own background and how you became a priest in the Episcopal Church. Uh, I grew up in Virginia, and um, lots of little colonial Episcopal churches everywhere, and um, my experience would be atypical of most Episcopalians, but typical of uh, folks who grew up in the Diocese of Virginia, especially the eastern part uh, of the state. Um, I I grew up in an evangelical parish. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was a morning prayer parish. Uh, I came to faith in Jesus Christ from the preaching from an Episcopal pulpit, uh, then I went off to college at the University of Virginia and went to an evangelical parish there, Christ Church, uh, there in downtown Charlottesville. And uh, and it wasn't uh, until college that I realized my experience was atypical uh, for the Episcopal Church. In a morning prayer parish, the emphasis is on the preaching of the Word, and out of that, uh, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, and baptism flow uh, and reinforced that preaching. Um, so it, it was... Uh, it was an eye-opener to me in college to hear other Episcopalians uh, speak in the way that they spoke and, and their experiences. Uh, but I'd always had a strong call uh, on my life as um, to the ordained ministry. Uh, when we were about eight years old, we were driving to the beach, and it was one of those old Suburbans before they became luxury vehicles, sort of the Naga Hind <laughs> pleather uh, interior with the pebble grain floor. And it was my brothers and I, my mom, uh, my aunt, and her two children, and we got stuck in traffic. And as we were stuck in traffic, uh, my mom had no idea how to keep us under control. And so she said, why don't we just go around the car and say what we want to do for a living when we grow up. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a pilot. And it got to me, and and I said, uh, I want to be a priest. And I remember my mother looking up in the rearview mirror at me and saying, you'll change your mind. Uh, Well, I didn't. but I will say that going, uh, I really didn't entertain it until I had a minister in high school who said, I think that God is calling to ordain ministry, and you need to consider that and really think about that. And he was wonderful in that he really invested in me, um, had me preach little sermons for services, even at 15 years old. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, go with him on hospital visits to really give me a, a sense of what ordained ministry was like. And then when I went off to college, uh, it didn't do a lot for my dating career to say that I was going into ordained ministry, so I just lied and said I was pre-law. But I thought that I would go straight into seminary from there, uh, but I didn't. I worked for a renewal ministry in the Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C. for almost two years and then went off to uh, Oxford, England, and uh, was at Wycliffe Hall. I'm going to talk about your experience at Oxford, but what is a renewal ministry? At that point, uh, the Episcopal Church had continued 
a sort of spiraling uh, effect, uh, not just membership decline, but really a theological theological incoherency. Uh, we weren't exactly sure of anything, and it became a, a du jour um, understanding uh, of the church, and not just its theology, but its ecclesiology, and we're seeing that manifest now in the church over what is the primary role of bishops? Mm. Um, what uh, What is the primary unit of the church? Well, if it's the diocese, what does that look like? What is the diocese? Well, um, my understanding would be the diocese are the local churches that come together to make up the diocese. Uh, so the ministry I work for, the American Anglican Council, was working very hard to turn the tide, and part of that was was engaging politically in the life of the church, really pouring a lot of time and money and energy into getting the general convention of the Episcopal Church, which is the national legislative body that meets every three years, into uh, voting the right way. And while I was there, it became very clear to me that votes don't change people's hearts. Jesus does. Mm-hmm. And so I became disenchanted with that. And in my role in that ministry, I worked with the individual parishes that made up the American Anglican Council. And so it was wonderful ministry. So one church could call and say, we want to start a homeless ministry, but we don't know how to do that. And I could simply link them up with another church that was already doing that. Or we need someone to train our church leadership, and we could hook them up with a church that was already doing that. And uh, I was 22 and not married, and so they uh, felt that they could exploit me, and they did. Uh, so I traveled uh, to a lot of places uh, all over the United States. It was a great experience. Talk about Oxford. You, you went to Wycliffe Hall, which is an Anglican theological school, training school for pastors, priests, That's right. and missionaries, I suppose, at Oxford. Tell us a little bit about Wycliffe Hall and kind of what was it like to be a student there. Yeah, Wycliffe Hall was founded in uh, the latter part of the 19th century, uh, in the 1870s. Uh, that and its sister institution, Ridley Hall, at Cambridge, and it was coming out of uh, the the wonderful evangelical movement that had happened in the 18th century and into the 19th century. I think I did say that it was founded in the latter 19th century. That's what I meant to say, and uh, with personalities like J.C. Ryle, who really saw that. If the Church of England was to be renewed, it, it was through theological education, not primarily, but that was one approach that needed to be handled. And um, at the time, the Church of England was was in bad shape. It was really, really bad. It's very interesting with all the trials and tribulations that we deal with in the church today to think, oh, this is as bad as it's ever been. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's just rehashed and, and is manifesting itself in a different way. And so Wycliffe and Ridley Hall were founded um, in the evangelical stream. And while I was there, the student body was actually populated by mostly by people who were coming from Holy Trinity Brompton or their church plants, which, of course, is the epicenter of the Alpha movement there in uh, the west side of London. And uh, so there was definitely a real charismatic vibe there. Uh, but when I was looking at theological institutions, uh, one I really uh, I was young and single, and I, so I thought, why not? And so I looked at Wycliffe Hall. I had a friend who had gone there uh, back in the seventies, and uh, when I looked, uh, it was um, the textbooks that everybody was reading in seminary were written by people who were there. So I took. 
doctrine with um, Alistair McGrath, and I took New Testament with the Wenham Brothers, and I took Ethics with Oliver O'Donovan, I took Evangelism with Michael Green, and it was a really wonderful time uh, to to be there, and um, it was close to France, uh, which was also nice. Just across the English Channel, huh? Did you did you take the channel? I did. The train was the best way, the best way to go, and I, I did travel uh, a lot. Incidentally, I was uh, seminary was a hard time for me. Um, I think partly being abroad and being in a in a strange country. Churchill was right. We are two countries separated by a common tongue, mm. and um, and so uh, I was on the golf team at Oxford. And that afforded me the ability to make friends outside of the college and to travel and see England and Scotland. It was yeah. it was a great time. Now you mentioned Wycliffe Hall was kind of born out of the evangelical renewal movement of the 19th century. When, when I think about evangelicalism within the Church of England, a couple of names stand out. You mentioned J. C. Ryle, of course, who was a great he was a bishop actually of Liverpool, the first uh, bishop of Liverpool. That's right. But I think of earlier than him, Charles Simeon from Cambridge, who spawned so many missionaries and renewal movements within the Church of England, and in more in our own time, John Stott, who stands kind of in that tradition. And so this was the world you were swimming in. Uh, I want to ask you if you would make a, a, a compare, or what is the difference? Let's put it that way. What's the difference between uh, the Church of England, where you were, and the American Episcopal Church? Yeah, a lot of it has everything to do with who the missionaries were that came. So if you were to look at a map of the world, those provinces in the Anglican Communion, there are 30-some-odd of them, and they tend to be national. So you have the Anglican Church of Canada, the Anglican Church of uh, Australia, the, the Church of Ireland, places like that. Uh, those, especially outside of the U.K., those dioceses that were planted and sent missionaries that were from the Church Mission Society, which Simeon started, are still uh, decidedly evangelical. Uh, a passion for preaching, uh, a passion uh, for um, sharing uh, the good news, uh, and and also a, a big heart, very much. It's amazing uh, how they've been able, by God's providence, to, to maintain that identity. Those that came from... Um, the, the standard institutional society for the propagation of the gospel do not have that identity. And, and they have the same struggles that we have uh, in the Episcopal Church. And the Church of England being the established church, it's, it was really eye-opening because most Americans go over to England, uh, especially to study at Oxford, and they think that you know, every church is filled with boys' choirs and men in tweed jackets smoking pipes. And they get over there and it is not that. Because if you think about it, if you go to an English village, there's one church. It's the village parish church. And everybody in the village goes there. And if you were to survey those villagers, some might actually, actually articulate a theology that might be Presbyterian or Methodist or even Baptist. And all of those people come together uh, in the village church to worship the Lord. And so the Church of England is much more Catholic than what we have in the Episcopal Church. Uh, in the Episcopal Church, the emphasis is almost exclusively on aesthetic. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, preaching is, uh, is in rough shape, to say the least. But uh, the American Episcopal Church uh, 
has a very, well, I don't mean to be too disparaging, but I sort of feel like we're the flea on the dog of American religious life. Mm. And that we've had a disproportionate influence in the history of America, to be sure, even in the history of Alabama, where there are not really many uh, Episcopalians. I mean, it's, and once you get out west, uh, you know, they're sort of like Buddhists in Sweden. You've heard of them, but you've never really met one. Uh, and uh, so the American Episcopal Church really, um, if if you like church, if you like churchiness, if you were the kid growing up that loved homework, uh, then we're the place for you. Uh, I, I feel that way. Uh, because if you're really into preaching, you're going to drive right by us on the way to someplace else. And if you're uh, into um, a little bit more of an emotional engagement in worship, you might drive by us on the way to a charismatic congregation. Mm. Uh, but if the aesthetic of worship, uh, the smells and bells, if you will, really appeal to you, then the American Episcopal Church uh, suits you well. In fact, Fitz Allison, the retired bishop of South Carolina, um, who's a, a dear friend of mine, uh, his advice when I was ordained was, uh, Andrew, you can preach heresy from the pulpit and they won't say a thing, but you start moving the furniture around and they will tear you up. <laughs> so we see what, what's important, what the priorities are. Now, I want to ask you just what you were talking about, these, this trend in uh, the Episcopal Church in the United States, but also um, many, many mainline churches. Certainly the Episcopal Church is not alone in the fact that in recent decades especially, there's been a precipitous decline in membership. There seemingly is a loss of maybe, let's say, influence in the culture. There was a time when the mainline denominations, Protestant denominations, were really the, the culture norm setters. That's no longer true. Uh, and yet, in some ways, the Cathedral Church of the Advent here in Birmingham seems to be bucking that trend. You are a large, vibrant, I would say dynamic congregation Worshiping God, word-centered, but very, uh, I would say, appropriate. And I wouldn't call it high church except by maybe the lowest uh, free church standards. Uh, and yet the, there's something about the Cathedral Church of the Advent that makes it stand out, I think, as a shining example in some ways. I think you're the fifth largest Episcopal church in the United States. What is it about the Advent that makes it different? I think the... The diagnosis of the theological problem in the Episcopal Church is easy. That's the low-hanging fruit. What I found to be the big issue that nobody wants to talk about is our complete lack of creativity and thoughtfulness in ministry. Mm. Um, I go to a lot of um, church events where they haul in who they consider to be the latest guru, and um, we're always looking for the next silver bullet and we live from program to program to program. And uh, Episcopal seminaries do a very good job of producing ministers for the Episcopal Church, <laughs> uh, but they don't do a very good job of equipping people to do ministry in a thoughtful and creative way. It's the, you know, the old question, um, are we preaching answers to questions nobody is asking? Mm. And there's a lot of that. And at the Advent, one of the things, I think, is that um, there's a transparency at the Advent, especially amongst the clergy, of knowing that we're all in, in the same boat. Uh, we're well aware that we're all OS positive. That is original sin positive. <laughs> and, and out of that place, uh, 
as Newton said, another great evangelical uh, from uh, that Clapham sect with William Wilberforce and the rest, uh, you know, uh, the two great truths that he learned in his life was that he was a great sinner, but that Christ was a great and mighty Savior. Yeah. And uh, we keep that paramount. We, we preach Jesus and, and him crucified, and we emphasize uh, that gospel message that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And um, the, the liturgy and the sacraments and, and all of that emanate uh, and reinforce that message. And so uh, the liturgy, and Cramer was very intentional about that, that he wanted people to know uh, the great work that Jesus had done for them uh, upon the cross and that uh, though he was dead, God raised him from the tomb three days later. And you hear that in the liturgy. And then uh, in the pulpit, uh, we preach that message. And then on the Sundays that we have communion, uh, they come forward. And, you know, altar calls are not popular in the Episcopal Church, but at the Advent, every time we celebrate communion, uh, we have an altar call. We ask people to come forward and receive Jesus Christ by faith mm-hmm. and to feed on him in their hearts uh, with thanksgiving, uh, knowing that uh, he died uh, for them and for them to remember that mm-hmm. and to consume uh, the truth of of the person of Jesus Christ and um and it's not just going through the motions. Liturgy, indeed, is is the work uh, of the people. But if if the church loses that dynamic uh, that the reformers were willing to burn for, uh, so when Latimer and Ridley are at the stake there in Oxford, uh, you know Cambridge trained them, but Oxford killed them. Uh, I can attest to that. Uh, Latimer's words to Ridley of be of good cheer for today that we light a candle uh, that God willing would never be snuffed out and uh, we're inheritors of that and and we hold up the flame uh, boldly and uh, not necessarily proudly but we know that uh, there is no other name given uh, under heaven on earth uh, for health and salvation uh, other than the name of Jesus Christ. Wonderful. I just want to tell you, Andrew, that uh, if I can call you Andrew here. Uh, Please do. Dean Pearson. Um, uh, what an encouragement it is to me as the leader of this divinity school to be in the same city with your church. We've had a wonderful partnership. Uh, you're one of our Beeson League of Churches churches supporting us in so many ways. Our students, a number of them have been involved in your ministry. But to have such a bright, shining light for the gospel, uh, certainly within the Episcopal Church, but really throughout our region, you're a regional witness for the gospel. And uh, it just thrills me to hear your approach to ministry and the faithfulness that you and your predecessors at the Advent have have exhibited. Now, I know you're not a prophet or maybe the son of a prophet, but I want you to look into the future a little bit. You're a young fellow by my standards. Look into the future 25, 30 years down the road. Maybe you'll still be uh, the dean of the Cathedral Church of the Advent. I hope so. But in any event, what is on the horizon for the Church of the Advent? What are your hopes for the church? The Advent being um, the size that it is and uh, the makeup of the parishioners, who they are, it's really remarkable. And when I came to the Advent, somebody said that, well, the Advent is a dry, clean church. And I sort of looked around and I thought, well, the, it seems like the Sexton staff does a good job of keeping up. And they said, no, 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 the, the clothes are dry, clean only. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, but but what uh, 
the ministry of the Advent for the longest time has been um, that it's been a player in the city of Birmingham uh, through leadership and things like that. Uh, so we've always had a heart for the city of Birmingham, uh, but also it has been a, a haven for those who have been burned by the church, uh, who may have grown up in the church and uh, came out of a background where uh, they were uh, unable to hear the gospel uh, for whatever reason, and they'd pretty much thrown the towel in on church, and God sees fit to bring them to a place like the Advent, and they hear the gospel preached, uh, The as Luther said, the prote of the gospel, that this is for you. Mm. And... Um, and when Jesus gets a hold of their lives and changes their hearts, uh, and they're sent out in the world, especially if they're a person of influence or work in a sphere of influence, uh, amazing things happen uh, mm-hmm. for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so I, that is a ministry that I think will continue. At the Advent, we are looking at ways. Uh, one of the things that we have is a heart for our broken church, the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a really awful uh, story, but but we laugh about it. Um, there are two uh, matronly ladies sitting at this very beautiful Gothic church in Manhattan, and the processional music comes in, and in walk these bare-chested men juggling baton set on fire, and along comes this daze held by the Vestal Virgins, and on it sits a monkey holding up a crowned pineapple. And the one Episcopal lady leans over to her neighbor and she says, one more thing and I'm out of here. (laughs) And uh, so for us, uh, we take it seriously, what's going on in the Episcopal Church, for sure. Uh, But looking at the history of the church, uh, we've been in worse spots. That and the Advent has an idea of the church that is much bigger than the Episcopal Church. We don't see ourselves as just this particular denominational entity, but that's one of the reasons why we're in partnership with Beeson and why we appreciate the ministry of Beeson so much, because it, it, it shows and demonstrates uh, the the Catholic nature uh, of the church. Our Lenten series, which has been going on for over 105 years now, uh, where we bring in preachers every single day during the week uh, of Lent, uh, and we in one week could have Sinclair Ferguson from First Presbyterian, and then at the uh, end of the week, have um, uh, somebody from a charismatic background, uh, but we all hold in common the faith of the church. And so that, as well as the ethos of the Advent, really has helped us understand that we are a part of something much bigger than what is known as the Episcopal Church in the United States of America. And yet we do have um, a heart for that area of Christendom of which we are a part and so our model, again, is that votes don't change people's hearts, but Jesus does. And so reaching out to the church and uh, engaging with them and ministering to them uh, in a way that, uh, that they've never experienced uh, before. It really is remarkable to talk to people um, who have grown up in the Episcopal Church and they come to the Advent and they're just overwhelmed uh, by by what they uh, experience. Uh, they're not exactly sure how to articulate it, but uh, they said, I've never uh, experienced anything like that uh, before. And there's really just one little difference. It is a supreme confidence in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that makes all the difference. 
Wonderful. My guest on the Beeson Podcast today has been the very Reverend Andrew Pearson. He is the Dean of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a wonderful minister of the gospel, a wonderful friend of our school. Thank you, Andrew, for being with us today. Oh, you're most welcome. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.